This week on Ultra 64, you will believe in the impossible as we play Mission Impossible for the Nintendo 64, as long as impossible means impossible to progress because it's very frustratingly laid out. a complicated intro scene. It was. It I feel was. like you had like an initial idea and then it just kind of kept going. I, much like the development of this game, I, I started off with some good ideas, things got muddled along the way, and now I'm just tired. Oh, hello everyone. Welcome to Ultra 64. We are the internet's comprehensive Nintendo 64 podcast. Each and every week we are playing a different randomly selected game from the Nintendo 64 catalog, and we are blowing stuff up and stealing faces and looking damn good doing it. And my name is Steve Guntley. Hello, uh, I'm Woody Siskowski. If either of us die in the production of this podcast, I will be sure to disavow knowledge of our existence. <laughs> Which is fair. But as I was never mo- on that podcast. I don't know who did that. I've yeah. never heard of an N64 as podcast. As will much of the world, I yeah. think. I worry sometimes in my darker hours. Sure. Uh, we are joined by a very special guest today uh, from the host of the Geek 101 and Monkey Off My Backlog podcasts, Andy Bowman. Hey, Andy. Welcome back. Hi, Woody. Hi, other host. <laughs> oh, damn yeah. it. <laughs> this, this is sticking. Yeah. Oh, Good. Well done. Frustrating. Hello, Andy. What was... Uh, I know we've we've had you on the show before, right? Uh, um, we have. Uh, just uh, to talk about a few of the uh, general, the uh, the indie weird indie games I come up with and uh, forced you guys to play. Oh, you yeah, haven't the, you haven't been on the uh, the N sixty four topic, huh? No, no, it's oh, uh, wow. we're it's glad to have you on to play a game, this very strange game, which I had a lot of memories of playing. I think this was one of maybe the ten N sixty four games I owned, and yeah. I had played through. You know, it was between this and Tarzan because I had played through many of the other ones. Yeah, yeah, I, and so I, I rem- yeah, go ahead. I think we're in very much the same boat there, Woody. <laughs> Yeah, and this is the kind of situation where I have pretty vivid memories of maybe the first three levels, and I think the reason is I was only able to get past the first three levels. That seems to track, uh, kind of based on our experience with it so far. So the game we are talking, excuse me, the game we are talking about today is Mission Impossible. This was released July 18th, 1998. This was developed by Infogram and published by Ocean, and it was also released on the PlayStation. Now, the interesting thing about this game, there's a lot of interesting things about this game, but uh, one of the reasons we wanted to have Andy on today is because, Andy, you said you have been attempting to get the speedrun world record in this game. Uh, that is correct. Uh, specifically on the uh, possible percentage, which is the easy okay. mode. Okay. All right. All right. So I have a lot we, of questions Yes, we about both have this. many so, questions. Uh, firstly, well, uh, a little overview. Uh, how long have you been into speedrunning? Uh, well, so this is my first, like, game that I decided to, like, sit down and try to do, like, a, um, what we call an ethnographic study, where you kind of embed yourself in the idea of a thing, and, uh, I was, w- what I'm trying to do, because I'm a, uh, PhD student, I want to record the experience of streamers, and, uh, you know, from the streamer's point of view, how you start out streaming, all this other little bits of information i haven't even made it to the streaming part of <laughs> of my uh, sure. research program but uh the the entire like speed running like this was the first game that i decided okay i'm going to attempt a world record for this game 
Okay. Uh, I also, wait, let's, I'm going to, I'm going to pause you here. Okay. Why? Why was this the game that you decided, okay, I'm going to attempt a world record for this game? C. Now, Woody, how many world record, or how many speed runs total on speedrun.com okay. do you think this game has? 64. <laughs> wow. Uh, there are a total of, and I am look, just looking to make sure. Four speed runs recorded <laughs> okay. in this game. When do you okay. think the last one was? Uh, 2007. No, it was actually three years ago. But, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. But still, it's been, a, it's been dormant for a while. Correct. It's been dormant for a while. So if my goal is to get a world record, uh, and believe it or not, like uh, Pajama Sam uh, 1, 2, and 3 are completely booked up in like <laughs> und- under under one minute speed runs. Okay. Wow. Okay. Uh, you know, and there there are a lot of others like Elmo's Letter Adventures booked up in the speedrun sure. community. That's been a very hey, popular we practically yeah. speed ran that game in our <laughs> yeah, first yeah. playing. Yeah. It's it. hard not to. Yeah. Uh, um. So how what is the current world record for speedrun of Mission Impossible for the Nintendo sixty four? The current world record is fifty seven minutes and eight seconds, and this is done by a Canadian speedrunner named Entenjir. And Entenjir, I know you're listening, and I'm coming for you. <laughs> okay, sure, sure. Yeah, he's one of our most loyal listeners. Um, and so I imagine that for most games that are popular speedrun targets, be it your Super Metroids or your Mario 64s or your Elmo's Number Adventure, mm. um, a, lot of, a lot of people kind of base their speedrun on what other people have done. Like, I know there's different routes and methods um, and then you just kind of follow someone else's route and method and say, where can I shave off a couple microseconds here? Right. Um, and, and I imagine from there's probably not set routes in Mission Impossible for the N64 at this point. Right. So, and and uh, that's actually the real reason that I, I picked this game. I wanted to pick a game without a community because for, for me, the loner. Fun- you're a loose cannon. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And uh, for me, also, the fun is looking at and trying to figure this out where other people have not, like, done so in a long time. Uh, if you look at, like, uh, if you look at the insane, insane uh, Zelda 60, uh, Ocarina of Time and Majora Mass speedruns or the Ocarina of Time randomizer speedruns, <laughs> which uh, that that's just an entirely new level of uh, of dedication. They everything is so fine tuned. Mm-hmm. They yeah. mm-hmm. they also have what they call a uh, a task speed run, which is a tool assisted speed run. Okay, and, and what that is is they go frame by frame through a run, put in the inputs so they know what is theoretically the fastest time. You're essentially programming a computer to do the speed run for you. Right. Right. And. Yeah. and at the big uh, speed run um, event, they even have a Taskbot, which is just a Rob the Robot that in a little uh, Super Nintendo controller or whatever controller that lights up and shows what they're pressing. Oh, uh, nice! Yeah. It, it it's really cool. But that's the thing: is these the breakthroughs, finding the glitches in these bigger games, it'd be a lot harder to do that. Now, Mission Colon Impossible, <laughs> uh, that is a a rich mine of of potential glitches. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
So what what's been so fifty seven minutes has been the top score so far. What's your top score to date? Oh, like oh, your fastest. Oh round? God. Yeah, okay. So we're 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 gonna get to this already. My fastest time is one hour and twenty three minutes. Okay. Okay. All right. Sorry. You're one up hour on 40, it. 23 minutes and forty seconds. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, the seconds count. The seconds <laughs> yeah. count. So you're coming up on it. That's so a like, lot to cut down on, though. What have What have been your tactics for approaching this so far? Like, have you found any unique glitches to kind of help you through it, or is it just a matter of like memorizing the tasks and running from one to one? Because the game has like a check mark kind of stru- like a checklist kind of structure. So it could potentially make this uh, like this isn't a crazy idea. Like you can kind of run through like exactly the way it's spelled out, but are there other faster ways to approach it? Well, and uh, this is where we are going to discuss how I might have a problem and how okay. that, that that problem uh, probably goes deeper than just wanting a world record. You see, one, uh, this this game, and just like any other N64 game, has terrible, terrible aiming. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure. And 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 my frustration with a few other things in this game has given me the decision to take my emulator because I, I use an emulator. Uh, that that's a big uh, point of controversy in the speedrunning community whether you use mm. an emulator or not. Uh, I decompiled the game, and I am currently <laughs> looking at the code to try wow. to try and see if I can figure out some way to skip. Uh, entire segments of the game. Uh, I I want to go for a glitched speed run, which uh won't require as much per- of one particular skill, which is aiming. Yeah, sure. sure. Uh, and and so so I'm looking at this, trying to figure out. Okay, is there a way that I can trick the game into thinking that I have this thing when I don't actually have this thing that I've completed so this objective with the Mission Impossible speed run is to minimize the amount of time. I, I mean, I guess it's true for all speedruns, but in yeah. an ideal world, you play Mission Impossible as little as possible. You engage, you engage with the mechanics as little as possible. That, you would much rather just glitch through areas as opposed to like deal with the shitty aiming. Well, the shitty aiming and the shitty jumping, Woody. Oh, oh yes, yeah. we didn't even we didn't even get to the shitty. I did jumping. some jumping. I did a little bit of jumping over boxes. Sure. It wasn't very responsive. Oh, oh, you didn't get to the uh, precise electrical panels that you have to jump Ooh. over. Uh, oh no! We squares. Oh, we did not get very far. In this. Embarrassingly unfa- unfar. I'm I'm curious about how what like was this a game you liked prior to this, and is it a game you still like, having exposed yourself so much to it, or oh. did you pick it because you don't like it? This and, is and, a game I loved as a kid. Okay, this game is basically a third person Goldeneye. Uh, yeah, that that is. Whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> Um, first off, no, it's an it, it is not that life. at all. But really? Like, no. you, you, yeah, I mean, the, you don't think the I objectives say, are indicative? Well, of actually, a, there are similarities. There are similarities. I mean, I think the tone, I think that this game wanted you to think like when I was a kid, I was excited about this game because I thought it was a third person Goldeneye, but uh, the structure is so different than Gold. Like Goldeneye is an action shooter. Mm-hmm. Like and the objectives are kind of like a throw a throwaway aside in Goldeneye. Mostly your goal is just like walk around, pick up the uh, distovi, and like get a bunch of headshots. Yeah. Here, this I think plays more like a um, Monkey Island or the Day of the Tentacle, like an old sort of point and click adventure. If those games were very unintuitive and clumsy. See, and um, which they are. Yeah. And this is part of the problem with you only experiencing the first two parts because. The last segment of this game is an on-the-rail shooters. 
Oh, okay. Oh, cool. Uh, there right. are there are more action oriented levels, but yes, you do have these really weird levels that feel like adventure games. And about how long is this game, like generally, if you're playing? Fifty-eight it minutes. Does it, does it, oh, <laughs> <me>. <laughs> were you paying attention? <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so a casual playthrough might take three hours. Okay, you know, so it's um, not like a super long game yeah. anyway. Yeah. No, no, no. It 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 isn't super long. Uh, I'm guessing, Steve, you got to the warehouse, which nope. uh, oh, you're you guessing get that you're, far. you're giving me far more credit uh, than yeah, yeah. We, well, you we said got he, to stage one of recover the knock list. Yeah. <laughs> It was okay. uh, yeah we we did not get very far into it because uh, I, for reasons that we'll get into but uh, let me jump in a little bit and talk about kind of the game the history of the sh- series a little bit I, I'll I'll definitely want to cycle back to some of the speed running stuff when we talk about the gameplay but uh, uh, a little bit about Mission Impossible because this is a franchise that as huge as it is in pop culture right now very very few video games and really mm-hmm. uh, a very tight control over that. So Mission Impossible, uh, as some people may know, started as a TV series uh, before becoming a massive movie franchise. So the original series, it debuted on CBS in 1966, and it ran for seven seasons and 171 episodes. And it was a huge hit in its early seasons. It won two Emmys for Best Dramatic Series, and it launched the careers of people like uh, Peter Graves and Leonard Nimoy, Martin Landau, Sam Elliott, all of them were on the show. Have you ever watched the show? I've never seen it. I bet the show is super boring. Oh, like, no to doubt. Watch, like, I tried to watch the show Wild Wild West because everyone oh, yeah. knows it's a great movie. Oh, That course, show is, I could not watch like one episode of it. It's just like these shows in the late 60s that are like, our, they're just so much people talking. Oh, yeah. And like uninteresting dialogue. And like, well, I guess there was nothing else on TV at the time. So I'm curious to revisit it. I'm Because I know, yeah, I know people speak very highly of it. But I think at this point, you're not even really going to remember it was a TV show. Yeah. Like uh, Nick at Night isn't so much a thing that we have access to anymore. Uh, or like, you know, I, I feel like a lot of these old shows got second life just because it was airing and it was, you were too tired to change the channel. (laughs) And now like you have a little bit more control over how that's going to play out. Uh, but yeah, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's probably better than a lot of other shows of that era. I tried to watch dragnet that move, that show's super boring, you know, (laughs) like uh, things like that. But, uh, so yeah, th- this was a very expensive international production, and it eventually became too expensive to justify the the poor, sagging ratings. And it was canceled in 1973. However, the show had a pretty dedicated fan community for a while, and it was brought back in 1988. Uh, Peter Graves came back and reprised his role of Jim Phelps, uh, and that show ran for two seasons on ABC, which isn't very significant really, but uh, it did keep the brand alive, and it kind of paved the way for its big reinvention. And that was in 1996 with the Brian De Palma film Mission Impossible. So this film starred Tom Cruise playing super spy Ethan Hunt, and it launched one of the biggest, longest-running, most successful, and honestly best uh, action franchises of the last 25 years. But like, the thing that's weird is I didn't feel like the first movie or the second movie really sort of set this as, like, this is going to be a huge franchise. Like, it no. felt like in some way, like, they kind of forced it. Kind of like like the Fast and the Furious movies in the same way. Like, yeah. those came out and people were like, yeah, I don't know, those are fine, whatever. And then at some point, people just, like, turned in a positive way on it. They're like, oh, yeah, like, these have just always been a thing, and we love them. And I think it was, like, the fourth Mission Impossible movie yeah. where people are like, oh, yeah, we love Mission Impossible. Whereas I, yeah. the third one's always kind of felt like, 
oh, that's still a thing? They're still doing that? And now you're like, oh, yeah, we're excited for the next one. That right. that was kind of where I was at. Like, I wasn't, like, I, I saw all these movies, I liked them, but I wasn't terribly excited about them until Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. I mean, that movie's great. It's, I, it's Mission- a fucking masterpiece yeah. of an action movie. Yeah, it's so good. But, like, I liked all of the movies, and they were all really successful. Uh, even Mission Impossible 2, which is, you know, I think generally agreed to be the worst one in the mm-hmm. franchise, is still super fun. Like, they have motorcycle duels, and, and, sure. and Tom Cruise free climbing a mountain. Like, I don't know. There's some there's some wacky shit in there, you know? And uh, it, it's a lot of fun. And I will... I think that... Um... 80% of the thing that helped Mission Impossible endure long enough to get sort of rebooted, I don't know if any media franchise has coasted on the strength of its uh, theme song. Oh, my so God. Well. Yeah, it's what a... Perhaps perhaps the greatest theme song? Oh, of, God, I mean, of, of a TV show, maybe? <laughs> uh, it's up there. It's certainly one of the yeah. most instantly identifiable. It's up there with, like, the Jeopardy theme or the Bond <laughs> yeah, theme. Yeah, I mean, you know? nothing gets your blood boiling like that Jeopardy theme. Yeah, you don't know my life. <laughs> The minute <laughs> this is Jeopardy. Oh, I'm just fucking like, amped. Yeah, you just get amped. <laughs> and one of the things about the entire film franchise, though, is it what the apparently uh, I actually just recorded earlier today an episode of Monkey Off My Backlog where we discussed Mission Impossible for a little while at length, the the mm-hmm. first film, and apparently the TV show was an ensemble cast. Yeah, and it was a rotating ensemble cast. And one of the things that happens in this movie is half the cast dies. Right. Right. Uh, in some pretty intense scenes. Uh, yeah. My, my memory, I just re- I rewatched the original Mission Impossible um, maybe a year, year or so ago. And I had watched it. It was one of the earliest memories I had of seeing a movie in a theater. And the only thing I remembered from it, aside from the scene of him getting lowered down, is Emilio Estevez getting smushed in an elevator. And a year later, that is still the only thing I remember about it. Well, there's like a rewatching it. It's like, I don't know what kind of elevator mechanism this is that's coming down, but like, it looks like something that would extend out of the phantasm ball. Like it's (laughs) this very like Baroque looking knife. Yeah. He like like, gets jammed by it. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't just get like crushed. Um, What were you saying, Andy, about the characters dying in gruesome ways? Well, well, it's that. These movies have benefited for the most part from having different directors and different cre- kind of creative visions behind what the franchise would be until the fifth one when then Christopher McQuarrie kind of took over and ran with it. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. first four all have different directors and very, very notable different directors. I mean, J.J. Abrams did the third one. John Woo did the second. Yeah. Brad Bird, like uh, Mr. Incredibles himself. Yeah, his live action well, debut. Yeah. I feel like they just realized on the fourth one, they're like, oh, we finally figured out what this is. And then Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise are just like, yeah, we can do that every time. Yeah. Like, just I feel like big, that just kind of cartoon. set the precedent of like the structure of the movies. And it's like this movie, like, I feel like at least the first, I don't like the first Mission Impossible movie very much, but I feel like it's categorized by like this labyrinthine plot mm-hmm. and a bunch of double crosses and things like this that are very hard to keep track of. Yeah. Um, and I feel like once they got to the fourth one, they're like, oh, this is actually defined by like these giant set pieces. And we think you can tell that the way that they write those movies is like what crazy environment or stunt can we build a scene around? Yeah. And then we'll just write a story around linking those together. 
Mm-hmm. Tom a, wants to be strapped to a plane. What can you guys write? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> can we tie him to a helicopter blade while the helicopter's going around? <laughs> and what about what about bungee jumping off of a tower? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Let's and, strap him outside the world's tallest building. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like each movie does have a stunt that is kind of remembered in pop culture. Like uh, the first one has the very, very famous uh, rope scene in the terminal. Yeah. Room. Uh, that's super cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, and I mean, there's a there's they they all have those signature moments and even the ones that kind of tend to get like forgotten since uh, four came out, you know, they still have like Mission Impossible three is really good. And people don't really talk about it because it it doesn't really feel like it fits in with any other movie in the series. But it's like it's really very good. And Philip Seymour Hoffman is a really scary villain. And like there's a lot of good stuff going on in that movie and gets kind of overlooked. Uh, but I mean, like Ghost Protocol and Fallout are some of the best action movies ever made, like period ever, uh, which is pretty impressive that one series would have two of those. You know, that's that's kind of a remarkable thing, particularly that far into their franchise. Right. Yeah. How many franchises come alive at number four? You know, like <laughs> it's this and Final Destination. Well, and that's and, it. Uh, I don't know. I would say Fast and Furious. Fast right? and Furious. Like, Fast and Furious is definitely. Yeah. in. yeah, for sure. Fast Five is when that kind of started. It's weird off. that the way all these franchises just basically became the same movie. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. Mission Impossible is just like, oh, they just kind of all met in the middle. Like Fast and Furious started somewhere. James Bond started somewhere. Mission Impossible started somewhere. They're like, oh, we all figured out how to make these at this in the same basic way. Kind of, so yeah. they're all basically the same movie at this point. It's just whether or not you want The Rock or Tom Cruise. Or- I mean, the Bond movies have always been so reactionary, too. So, like, the latest Bond movie, Spectre, feels a lot like like this or, or like like Mission Impossible or Fast and Furious yeah. because it's, it's about uh, – it's suddenly about – a team. It's about bringing in a family. It's about family. It's about having, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's having that group dynamic going on. So it, it's an interesting change. I mean, there's there's a realization that the more cast members you put in the movie, the more demographics you can appeal to. It's true. It's, it's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, ladies are lining up for that Simon Pegg action in yeah. the recent ones. Uh, so uh, actually, part seven, uh, Mission Simon Impossible Pegged. Seven, is, <laughs> they do. Uh, Mission Impossible Seven is in production right now, and actually, Tom Cruise was in the news for this recently. Uh, someone taped him having a bit of a freakout uh, at some cast members who had not been observing COVID protocols, uh, and he gave them a good tongue lashing. I, I have to say, like. One of the better versions of a celebrity meltdown. Like, sure. this isn't somebody wandering into Christian Bale's shot. This is serious health concerns and, like, uh, you know, the future of the industry and stuff like that. I, I can't be too I mad mean, about this freak out. These, yeah, the people who are shooting movies in the current situation have a lot riding on their shoulders. Yeah. In terms of, like, all other... They basically need to prove that it is safe and can be done. Oh, and, yeah. And, like, Tom Cruise has a lot of investment in these movies by now, so... Yeah, you really but, don't hear. Oh yeah, go ahead. That's that, that's one of the things about 2020. I never thought I would agree with a Tom Cruise freak out. Sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. You really don't hear him freak out very often. I guess him jumping on the couch <laughs> is like the closest one. But even when you remember that viral video that went around of that that like comedian that like sprayed water in his face on the red carpet, and then Tom Cruise just like. They, they were like shaking hands. He sprays him and Tom Cruise just locks his hand on the guy's wrist. And he's just like, why did you do that? No, talk to me. Let's have a conversation. Why did you feel the need to do that? Oh, interesting. Like it wasn't even freaking out. It was just kind of like, it was almost scarier that way. Because <laughs> he's just very calmly uh, uh, discussing this with this guy. And the guy looks like he just wants to run away. Sure. <laughs> 
Um, so a little bit about Mission Impossible video games, because the one we're playing today is only the second to adapt the license. The first one was the 1989 NES game Mission Impossible, which was actually based on the 1988 TV reboot and not the original franchise. So that game's pretty meh. Uh, if you've played Die Hard on NES, it's like a top-down mm. shooter a la uh, Hotline Miami. Uh, yeah, but, it's but totally as good as Hotline as Miami. <laughs> slow and not as fun. I don't know what the rules are for uh, comparing something from earlier to something from later, but yeah. yeah. Um, I've, uh, I've only played the Die Hard arcade cabinet that isn't actually Die Hard. Right, yeah, it's Dynamite Cop, right? Yeah, or, yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is only the second game. Um, after that, there was barely anything. Uh, we got a belated Game Boy port of this game that came out two years after this, just called Mission Impossible. And then in 2003, we got Mission Impossible Operation Surma, which was kind of a forgotten action game that told an original story using characters from uh, Mission Impossible 2. Now... I, sorry, is that... Well, you can keep going. Oh, I'll, yeah, the one thing to note is that Vin yeah. Rames actually does reprise his role in that game, but Tom Cruise does not. And Tom Cruise actually does not allow his likeness in video games. And mm. I don't know if this is a hard and fast rule with him, but this happened a couple times. Like, even there's a Top Gun game for the NES that they tried to just use the poster on the box, and then he wouldn't allow his image. Okay. The Minority Report game, they swap him out for someone, like, blonde. Sure. Like, it's not even that he won't appear in the game. He he demands that the character models look dramatically different from him. Like, the the Ethan Hunt in Mission Impossible Operation Surma is Asian. Like, so, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. I'm, cu- I'm curious. I, I'm wondering if it's just the businessman side of him. He understands that... Uh, Video games aren't really an investment to get into for the most part. Well, and for what it's worth, like it doesn't send keep a very high standard of quality. No. Like when you think about the games you just named, yeah. Top Gun for NES, Minority Report, like these are not good games. They're not great. I don't know if he wants his face. Minority front Report has a weapon that makes people throw up, though. That's great. <laughs> sure. Who, who wants that? Um, I think that the reason that there's been such an underrepresentation of Mission Impossible in games, yeah. Um, I mean, aside from the fact that most of the sort of cultural importance of it didn't come until the last 10 years or so. Mm -hmm. But um, it, like, when you think about the Bond movies, there's so much of those movies that's just him going and, like, mowing dudes down. Oh, yeah. Like, um, especially in the the Brosnan movies of just, like, oh, they're on a submarine and there's just a bunch of guards that he just blasts. Yeah. There's not really those scenes in the Mission Impossible movies. No, Like, most of these scenes are like, yeah, like him being lowered down, them sort of sneaking around, him holding his breath underwater for a really long time, mm-hmm. climbing a building. And these are not scenes, like these scenes could be very cool in video games, but they are not scenes that lazily translate to video games. No, like, no, no. You would have to put effort into like, hey, we're going to make this immersive and cinematic. Like you could make a great Mission Impossible VR game. Oh, if totally. you put a bunch of money and effort into it. Yes, and thousand percent. That, that would be awesome. That would be great. Yeah. I would love to climb the side of the Burj Khalifa and just like <laughs> in VR. I think that'd be super fun. Uh, I mean, you so, just got to go yeah. with a with another siphon filter game instead. Yeah, see that second reference to siphon filter. Yeah, yeah Woody made that comparison earlier, and I, I've still never played siphon filter. But uh, I said yeah. that siphon filter is like this, but good. There you like, go. <laughs> So a little bit about the development of this game. Uh, So similar to GoldenEye, this is a movie-based game that came out two years after the movie was originally released. With 007, it was because the team at Rare was given a lot of time to get things right. Mission Impossible suffered a more troubled production schedule, unfortunately. So the game was originally announced in 1996. It was set to be launched that year, so it was going to be one of the first N64 games. 
Uh, and it was supposed to uh, coincide with the VHS release of the Brian De Palma film. Mm. So the developers had some ambitious ideas for this game. Uh, Ocean, the developer who was working on it, had previously been known mostly for okay to bad adaptations of IP, <laughs> like Batman, RoboCop, stuff like that. But but they really wanted to distinguish themselves with this next generation. Uh, and so they kind of tried to build a new AI engine, and they built a whole fresh new like uh, video game engine for it. Uh, and they really wanted to simulate the spy experience and kind mm-hmm. of downplay just like mindless running and shooting. Unfortunately, the devs overestimated what the Nintendo 64 was capable of. They they kind of got into the planning stage before they ever saw a dev kit, just kind of based on promises and hype, and they didn't really... Uh, the, the new system wasn't able to support that. And then they ran into all kinds of ro- roadblocks in the development. And then in 1997, uh, French developer Infogram purchased Ocean, and then they moved the production from San Jose to California to Paris, France, and then the team started developing the game over again from scratch. Mm. This time it was going to be developed for the 64DD. Now we know how well that worked out. Oh, so 64- many games are going to be developed for that. Exactly. Once the 64DD was apparent, uh, it was apparent it was going to be a turd, they had to go back and redevelop it again. So this game had three different production cycles just trying to get it out the door. Uh, by the time it came out, GoldenEye had already been out for a year, and it pretty much ate all of Mission Impossible's lunch at that point. Uh, critical consensus on this game was mixed. Uh, I think I think everyone generally agreed like there were some good ideas here, but the execution is sloppy, and it's just kind of confusing and frustrating in a lot of ways. Well, I think that they did make. I think this game makes the right choice and like the right premise. Yeah, I think like this is the right way to go about making a Mission Impossible game, yeah. especially if you're following up on. Goldeneye, because you're just not with when you think about levels of like talent of like infogrames versus rare. Yeah, like rare is playing with a stacked deck in oh, comparison, yeah. and so like you don't want to compete with that. Um, and so to be like, okay, this is going to be sort of the thinking man spy game, and we're really going to put emphasis on being conscious in your choices, um, following these objectives, and so many times in this game if you get spotted, like if you punch a guard or Mm -hmm. like pull out your gun at the wrong time, you just get arrested and lose instantly. Yeah. Start all over, rewatch the cutscenes again, (laughs) like do all of that from the beginning, which Andy, I'm sure you've seen them all many times at this point, all the different, or had to skip through many different cutscenes. Yes. And one of the big frustrations is when you press pause to skip a cutscene and it pauses the game instead. And you realize that cost you three seconds. Yeah, oh no, that's, oh bummer. That's uh, true. You have to like you. I guess in the world of speedrunning, you have because games never let you paw, uh, like skip the entire cutscene. They always have to load like a couple seconds of it before they load the next scene to allow you to skip. Right. So I'm sure if you're speedrunning, you have to figure out exactly at what part of the cutscene you're first able to skip. Right. <laughs> like, that kind of happened with Chef's Love Shack last week too. We kept running into that problem where like there wasn't that little buffer between when you press start and when the next screen loads. It's just bam, bam, bam. So (laughs) it was very confusing. Uh, So plot-wise, this game uh, borrows elements from the movie, but it kind of wound up being its own beast. Like the central plot is still the same. Uh, You're still playing as Ethan Hunt. You're still trying to obtain the knock list, which is this list of uh, non-operative cover agents who are hidden throughout Eastern Europe. Basically, this just will reveal all their identities and get them killed. So you need to piece together the two pieces of this knock list, stop a uh, mysterious arms dealer named Max, and then find out who's been betraying the team and working as a mole from the inside. 
Uh, the only characters that are brought back from the movie, well, we have Ethan Hunt, of course, is our protagonist. We have Jim Phelps. Uh, he's played by John Voight in the movie and Peter Graves in the TV show. And that is the only character that kind of transcended both. Uh, they they go with their own cast in the movies and their own cast in the show. And I since I wasn't a fan of the show, the the kind of shocking nature of the twist of the first movie, and if spoilers for a 25-year-old movie, <laughs> uh, is that you know Jim Phelps, the John Voight character, winds up being the mole. And that what? is a little shocking when you consider that like Jim Phelps was kind of the lead of the show, of both versions of the show. Uh, for a long time. So, you know, that, that's it's a clever twist that was kind of lost on me as someone who wasn't familiar with the source material. And this game, I mean, it's kind of story-driven in the way that um, every mission sort of ties together, but it's not told well. Um, like, I know that this is true to the to the show or the movie is like, the cutscenes will be Jim Phelps opening his laptop in a surprisingly public place. Yeah. <laughs> like the second one, he just seems to be on a major airline watching this classified video with no headphones. <laughs> and like this woman is just kind of sitting next to him. And you're like, oh, she's just really learning a lot about the classified Pentagon info. And even <laughs> having a laptop computer in 1996 would be like a novelty. That's You'd want to look at it. And like, then, like, yeah, he's watching attention. this on a plane. And then uh, the last thing that it says, as is true of all the Mission Impossible movies, mm -hmm. is like, this message will self-destruct. And then the cutscene just ends. And you're like, what do you do with his laptop on the plane that yeah, was about the, to explode? Did the fucking like, plane blow up? Like, yeah, I don't like, get it. Like, I don't know what's happening. The manual is a little confusing, too, because it opens with, like, good morning, Mr. Phelps. And it, it goes through that whole routine like mm -hmm. it's trying to do the tape. But then it says, you are Ethan Hunt. Right. And, and I'm like, wait. That's, so wait another, I that's another issue I have is, like, Every all the cutscenes are towards Jim Phelps and like the Pentagon or whatever explaining the mission. Right. But then you always play as Ethan Hunt. And it's like, why don't you just play as Ethan Hunt and get the mission that way? Like have Jim Phelps be giving you the mission. I mean, is it that maybe Jim is the actually the main character and he's playing this game or something? Like <laughs> yes. we're, we're playing a meta game. He he, he, he used the face maker to become Ethan Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 uh style yeah. twist where oh. this is all just a VR mission. <laughs> oh god uh yeah so now we do get a couple yeah like uh, most of the plot deviates from the movie like this the game opens in like a, a frozen siberian wasteland which isn't in the movie at all uh and you're just kind of you know, it's just kind of a quick way to introduce the dynamics so it, you said this game came out in 1998 right? yeah okay so the fact that andy just brought up metal gear Solid, like this game came out a year after metal gear solid yeah oh, and like absolutely. this game plays a lot like Metal Gear Solid in terms of it's kind of a top-down, isometric-y thing. You have a radar, but the radar is not nearly as helpful as the Metal Gear radar. No, you and, need those little cones of vision Yeah, so bad. it's kind of dependent on you being stealthy. But when you think about, obviously, like, Metal Gear Solid is sort of a gold standard. But when you think of, like, the storytelling in mm. that game and, like, how clear it is what is going on and what you have to do versus what is going on in this game... It's just such a world apart. Like, the, the, they talk about, oh, in the initial development, they weren't aware of what the N64 was capable of. And it's like, there's a way to fix a lot of the problems with this game that are dependent on better writing and better storytelling. Because I think so, yeah. Like, so much of the missions of this game are defined by these vague objectives. Like, find excuse to enter Subden. And you're like... I don't know what you mean by excuse. Right. We, and that's why it reminds me of like a monkey island type thing. Yeah, exactly. Like we we found the excuse. It turns out it was a piece of paper on a desk. That right. And excuse. you like don't know what this says or anything like that. Um, 
and it's just so many of the things are divided in a very weird way of like um you, the the first goal is like your goal is just like get face maker um but it doesn't give you any indication of who has it and so you just have to talk to this random woman who you should know is part of your team by looking at the team info but like this game really needed like a pan pan through the level to kind of show you or like it's like those scenes in heist movies when um like George Clooney in Ocean's 11 or whatever mm is describing the plan yeah. and they like are panning through different areas of the casino showing you how it is supposed to work. Yeah, yeah. And then you can be like, "Oh, I know what's sort of gonna happen now because so much of this game is just defined by like it's guesswork. Randomly walking around until something works and then repeat then getting caught when you yeah. try to do the next thing and then repeating the first step that works." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm doing that over and over. Now, Woody, you uh, have hit on something that is kind of the reason why this game in general appealed to me as a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, this was one of those games where you had to talk with your friends and try to figure things out and go slowly, right? This is yes. kind of a, a, a slumber party game, you know. Okay. Um, yeah, where, I can see that. Right, where, you know, with you mean nine like year old Night me. Trap. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. There's a blood-sucking vampires in here, too, somewhere. Uh but but yeah, you do have to. Uh, it it was that kind of thing that really appealed to a very young Andy. Uh, just like do, figuring out how to do the objectives in Goldeneye was the same way. Uh, yeah, you know this is it, it made an impression on me. And by the way, Woody, you have to talk to that random woman three times to get you, the face maker. Yeah, yeah, you have to talk to her in order to trigger the dude who's talking to her to leave. Yeah, but there's no indication that that will happen. Then you have to talk to her again for her to identify herself. But then she says, wait, make sure there's no one around. And then you have to talk to her again for her to actually give you the face maker. But it's not like one of the, I thought it was going to be one of those things where she would refuse to give it to you if someone was looking. And uh, no, that's not the case. She will give it to you the third time you ask her. Uh, whether anybody's there or not. Oh, and, and without no, no, these cones a, of vision... There is a yeah, go guard ahead. going around. If he yeah. is there, that's game over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's no cone of vision, so you don't know, like, oh, he, you'd be like, oh, his back is the other way, but, like, that doesn't matter because he's still close enough to you. And there's also no manual camera control, so you can't really look around and see if there's anyone behind you unless you're, like, pulling out your gun and aiming, and if anyone sees you with your gun, then it's game over. Yeah. Like so that that's a big issue with that early part of like the stealth idea is like just not being able to see when anybody else is looking at you. And Andy, like I will say, like I think little kid Andy was probably a lot smarter than little kid Woody because um, <laughs> I definitely was just so baffled by so many of these mechanics. And that has not that has not changed very much. But I do really remember feeling proud of myself and satisfied when you sort of feel like you're figuring things out. Yeah. And this is this is a game that isn't like a ton of other games on this system. No, There's very no. few kind of adventure-y, puzzly games on the system. Like I was I, I was thinking the closest thing this would compare to was Winback, but even this has more emphasis on it. Uh, Winback's yeah. much more Win, of a Winback's shooter. Shoot, cover shoot. Like, yeah. It's more like maybe like the Scooby-Doo game or yeah, uh, weirdly, Resident yeah. Evil 2 if you got rid of all the zombies. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. It's, it's uh, yeah, I, I think there is, there is a little bit of a golden eye kind of stink on this, and so I think you need to purge that a little bit before you can really figure out what this game is doing. This is not 
trying to be GoldenEye. This is trying to do something much slower and more intentional, um, which is... I, I, it's an admirable idea that they've been attempting here, actually. I, I really think this is a cool idea, and like this would have been pretty groundbreaking for the N64. Like you said, like Metal Gear Solid had just come out or was like coming out around the same time or something like well, that. Well, Metal Gear like, Solid came out in 97. In 90, that was in 97? Yeah. Okay, yeah. And like, so it, it still was a pretty new concept. And a really big and interesting thing, that the later levels do get a little bit more linear at, mm-hmm. at, at points. The first level you get to this big snowscape, there, like, like that is a you have to go around and kind of figure out where to go. Even though once you know the the critical path, it's literally takes you less than a minute to get through it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, that entire level, that huge expansive level, is actually recycled and used as the final level of the game. Okay. Uh, and so that that was a little like trick that they did where. They're like, hey, uh, by the way, that first place that you went, uh, yeah, it's it's active now. You got to go do things there, and that's the climax of the game where you blow the entire thing up and on a gunboat. So do would you say like, does the game get a little better after these first couple of missions? Is this something we should kind of push past? Does it get a little <laughs> no. more intuitive? Is it? I I, I imagine by no. your description, it gets worse. Okay, because yeah. when I think. When I think about what this game does well, yeah. and this is not even something that it does particularly well, but like when I think about what is neat about this game, it is kind of like having these mission objectives fit together and sort of figuring out what you were supposed to do, mm-hmm. even though a lot of that is super frustrating. Yeah. Um, and like, but what I think is really bad about this game, and I'm sure Andy can attest to that, is just like the moving, the way Ethan Hunt moves is so stiff. It's clogged like, as hell, he, yeah. He, you do not feel like you have any natural control. He kind of moves, every step goes a set distance. Right. And so you don't really feel like you have natural control. The camera's always kind of bouncing. Yeah, you mentioned it's it's kind of like it's uh, on a steady cam behind yeah. you, but it's just like bouncing every time he bounces. The, the, so weapon, like... the weapon shifting is much slower and less intuitive than it should be. Um, you 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 stood like face to face with a guard for like thirty seconds trying to switch to your gun. It took forever, and, and I, it took me a while to figure out how to use gadgets too, because yeah. you have to open up your inventory by pressing B and then press down C, C. to access things that are on a different side of your inventory. So I'm like, why why can't this all just be on one and, like, bar? The hit detection also pretty questionable. Like like yeah, like Andy said, like you're crosshair for shooting is very large it's large it, and there's no like central reticle you yeah know? It's exactly just like a, a big character's circle. head is kind of takes up about an eighth of your targeting reticle and you're like right. well i hope that's gonna get him yeah um, <laughs> and yeah just the jumping and hit detection so if you say like that the later half gets a little more action focused like uh, that's yeah. not what i want <laughs> okay so i did write down the uh levels that i consider fun Okay. Oh, nice. Okay. So, so you have the first two levels with. So, the, how, wait. Uh, how many? How many levels are there in this game? There, like, there are technically twenty levels. Okay. Okay. Uh, you have the the first two, which is the icy area. Uh, you know, I I find those really fun. It's kind of, it's kind of fun to to get through, especially the second one where. <laughs> so, at, at the end of the second level, you have to go down a ladder to get into a boat and fly off. Yeah. And and this is one of the, the speedrun tricks is you actually just jump off the platform and if you get your character model into a certain area, it'll uh activate the cutscene to end the level. Mm. Okay. okay. Nice. So you so, won't even have to land. 
Right, right, e- exactly. And it also skips the entire uh, animation of going down the ladder. Perfect. Uh, but so you have that. You have. The- <laughs> I like the way that's that's what makes the level fun <laughs> is the idea well, that you can jump and skip the ladder. Well, <laughs> well, it's it's this weird thing of like getting getting good at the movement, uh, not getting shot at. Uh, I I don't I don't know. It's it, it's a fun level. It was fun to figure out, and I think there's some places where I can shave some time off. The the big level that I'm really trying to shave time off is the embassy level, which you discussed mm-hmm. earlier with the uh, talking to the lady three times, going around, yeah. uh, knocking a <laughs> knocking an ambassador out, stealing his face. Uh, stuff. There's another level just like that after the next level, which is the warehouse, and it involves you jumping over pits of toxic goo, which is terrible. <laughs> uh, and then there's actual like floating platforms uh platforming kind of stuff where you are literally over toxic goo oh yeah that sounds Uh, hellish sounds very mission impossible yeah it is it is a run killer it is uh it's called sewage control it is terrible it i i hate it there's uh a level of interrogation where you it's after you get captured by your people and you're interrogated and there's some fun segments to do there there's a train car level, which is really ballsy of them, since the best train level ever was in GoldenEye. <laughs> so um, how does the... Uh, I know this game has the iconic moment of him, like, uh, uh, roping down into the, yeah. the pressure-sensitive pad. How does that play in this game? Uh, it, I mean, it, it plays fun. You just you just dodge the, the lasers as you go down. Uh, okay. But, of, of course, speedrunners, uh, such as myself and other people, I've just figured out you kind of just... Hold it down and just take the damage from the lasers. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, sure. This is not a game that you die via damage very often. Yeah. Like you, you, you have a large fuse. health bar. Mostly right. you just die because somebody caught you uh, talking to a woman at the wrong time. Right. And and another interesting thing, the difference between the possible and impossible difficulties is actually just extra objectives. It is not mm-hmm. extra damage, harder enemies, okay. more enemies. It's just. Extra objectives, and that's the same as Goldeneye too. Yeah, well, I think Goldeneye I, makes it harder yeah. too. But you like, definitely yeah, take yeah. more damage in harder difficulties. Goldeneye, which yeah. I, I think that that I, I really like the way that these games did those difficulties and objectives in terms of like, um, sort of a simple versus a co- a complicated mode of like how much you wanted to see. Right. Because yeah, some of these levels on the po- on the possible difficulty, at least like the first couple, feel really thin in what they're asking you to do. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but overall, uh, a lot of this game is bullshit, and I hate it. And I hate, I hate moving, and <laughs> I hate the precise jumping and the the hallway traps that take way too much damage off of you. But also, when you get hit, your character flies back and gets knocked down, and that's it, it's like uh, literally seven and a half seconds. If you get <laughs> so, hit. out of curiosity, if you could. I don't know if you know off the top of your head. Do you know how many hours you've put into attempting to get this record? I do not know. Okay. Do uh, not want to know. I can tell you it's less than 100 because uh, I have this little bag of burps and farts in my house now. Um, <laughs> hey, that... you told me you told people you wouldn't say I was living there. <laughs> uh, it's taking up a oh, okay. lot more of my time. Hey, I forgot that you had a kid and I was just, I thought you were just bagging your farts and burps. <laughs> like every hour you would put a fart and burp in there and then you just look and you're like, well, there's fewer than a hundred in here. So I haven't played mission impossible for that long. Um, <laughs> but... uh, and, and really 
yeah, I I would honestly say not nearly enough time as like other speedrunners, the the world class speedrunners. I probably put about forty ish hours in trying okay. to trying to do this, trying to figure it out. Uh, recently, like I said, I've been looking at the code and the visual, the visual representations of the maps from the actual map files to try to figure out where I might be able to glitch through a wall or something. So are you confident that you will be, are you, do you think you're leaning more towards giving up or are you leaning, you're going to, you're going to go until you get this record? Uh, I, I'm leaning more towards giving up because, (laughs) uh, I want to do you're fun a smart things. Man. With, I, I want to do fun. I want to do things I actually really enjoy. I I mentioned Zelda randomizers earlier, and I'm really interested in trying to get good enough at Zelda to do a randomizer run. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, even I, if you I, don't I, achieve a world record in something, I would say that like if you spent a hundred hours playing a Zelda randomizer versus a hundred hours playing a Mission Impossible, you still right. probably come out ahead. Right. Like, well, and, and also there aren't really. Uh, like world records in Zelda randomizers. Sure. Yeah. They're they're uh crazy fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the heart of all of this speed running is sort of developing uh, going really in depth in a game and yeah. really sort of finding appreciation for things that you'd never noticed before. And I think the better a game is, probably the more depth that is there. And yeah. I imagine that you trying to go deep into Mission Impossible has made you realize, like, oh, there's not really actually much here. Right. I, I, feel, know, like, I, I feel like it would be necessary for me to have a game that I enjoy playing if I'm going to sink that much time into it. Yeah, I don't know if I could do it with... I mean, I don't hate Mission Impossible. I, I actually don't. Like, I... I I think it's kind of sloppily executed, but I think there are some good ideas here, and I think there are there there's there's a weird stickiness to it. Like like you said, like you you figure something out, and then that kind of gives you that little bit of endorphins that you need to kind of push through and try the next one. But, one uh, recurring theme that I've noticed as as we play these games, and I try to think about them more critically, is there's a lot of very bad games mm-hmm. that are not that far away from being good games. Yeah, And yeah. I think we played, like, uh, Zelda's Adventure for CDI. Yeah. And that was an example. Like, that game is not that different from, like, NES Zelda in terms of, like, scratching similar itches. Like, it looks really dated. Yeah. Um, right. But, and like, I if mean, they... That also yeah, happens today with cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Oh. Well, I, I feel like that's kind of <laughs> existing at a different playing field. Um, but like the uh, Mission Impossible, like y- you feel like, oh, if they had just made it slightly clearer what the objectives are, which is something that someone could have done by like programming it, just basically rewriting some of the dialogue, rewriting some of the mission objectives. And if they had fixed that and they had made Ethan control more responsively and move better, I think this game would have a place on the system. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Right. Uh, Weirdly, I think this game would benefit from a uh, like an HD just kind of touch up. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, definitely. No, I I would like to see. I would like to see some modern Mission Impossible games. I mean, I think the, the series has gone so nuts and has so many amazing set pieces you could get a great like uncharted style like action game out of this like i, I think it would be fantastic uh, i hope they i hope they bring it back mm-hmm. because i think if anything, if nothing else this game demonstrates that the series has potential to be a very very fun video game franchise even if it hasn't been developed very well yet yeah i, um, I think it would also have worked um i think it would have been good had like lucas arts acquired 
because they made very good Indiana Jones adventure games. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. For, and like this would have worked very well in that, like just almost take the combat out completely. Sure. Um, I think that that would have worked good as well. But like here it's just stuck in this awkward middle ground of sort of both trying to ape Goldeneye a little bit and put in these action set pieces that are not very good and then trying to be more adventure sort of puzzle focused. And that ends up not being very good as well. Yeah. There, there is a level played exclusively through a sniper scope and that is one of the most frustrating levels to play but that's like uh, a right, good idea it's like, a good yeah. idea like because isn't it you're you're i read about this you're you're defending ethan like you're playing the sniper and you're defending ethan as he's trying to get through all these bad guys that's a fun idea yeah like i yeah. like that idea i like it that yeah and that's and it goes with thing the you, oh. task force idea like this yeah. is not yeah. just ethan this is an entire force yeah yeah and that that would be like a way to do this game is like you are you play as Ethan in one of the levels and then like the camera kind of flies through the sky and pans out and you're like the computer hacker character and you have to sort of, you know, play these like in-depth hacking mini games and then you're the sniper cover. And yeah, it's just like give the airline, the helicopter pilot and you just really want to demonstrate all these different gameplay styles. Yeah. And again, that's something I think that this game goes for. Just all of it lacks polish. Yeah. Paul. Polish goes a long way. It does. Yeah. It really uh, does. And one, um, one thing that makes a game fun to speed run is fun movement. And yeah. this game does not have fun movement. Um, There's a reason why Mario 64, where all the Mario games are some of the most commonly speed run games. Yeah, yeah. Right. Th- those and uh, Celeste. Celeste is mm, Celeste, yeah. one of the largest speed run games. And it's hella fun to play. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that the very smartly, the creator basically just built speed running into the design of her game. Oh, 100%. So. Uh, well, I think that's all I've got on Mission Impossible. Do we have any final things we want to say before we move on? I think we're good. All right, let's move on. Gas is going to explode. <laughs> let's move on to our rankings. Each week we are adding another game to our ever-expanding list. This is going to be our number 292. Oh, my God. Um, I think I'll start us off this week. Okay. Uh, I I think I've gone back and forth a little bit <laughs> since... Uh, on, on which side of the Tarzan line this game falls, oh, sure. you know, where the, for, for past listeners, the, the Disney's Tarzan line is like the lowest possible game on the list that I would still recommend playing or that I would still actually play that you wouldn't actively be like, I got to turn this off. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think this is going to squeeze in just below it. Uh, it, it came close. I like its ideas. I like what's going on here. I think the mechanics are too complicated and a little too frustrating to really push it over that edge, but it came very close. So that's making it number 159, I'm sorry, 160, and that's going to put it right below Tarzan and right above Clay Fighter, 63 and a third. Nice. I I feel better about having that little buffer between Clay Fighter and Tarzan. (laughs) Just, you know, I feel like I like that game less, but, you know, whatever. This isn't a perfect system. Um, I'm putting mine at number 148, where what I said before about polish going a long way, I think is really demonstrated here because... It's number 148, which is right below the game Tigger's Honey Hunt. Yeah. Which is perhaps one of the least ambitious games. Like, uh, like the audience there is very young. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, like, that game basically plays, like, the simplest possible platformer you could imagine. But it plays, like, pretty well. And it's <laughs> and it, it, weirdly gorgeous. Yeah, it looks like, great. It, like, the best plays games in the system. very responsively. And I would much rather play a less ambitious... I don't know, it's weird. Like, if I was to watch a movie, I would rather watch an ambitious movie... That was kind of a mess. Than just something easy. Um, Than just something that's like well done and clean. But a lot of time for video games, 
I would rather play something that worked cleanly and was polished yeah. than try to suffer through a game with big ideas like this one that just doesn't play right. Yeah. Real um, quick, what so, do you what do you yeah. think the world record speed run for Taker's Honey Hunt is? Uh See, I can't imagine you could glitch that game very well, but I would guess um, 45 minutes. 25 minutes and 59 seconds. Wow. wow. Okay. I mean, that is one of the ones that we beat. It was a very a short game. Yeah, we did beat uh, it on the on an, on an episode. Um, well, awesome. Well, we have one letter this week. Uh, nice and short. One. Well, not, not super short. <laughs> uh, hey, bro. Hey, guys. <laughs> will you read my dissertation? It starts like this. <laughs> Hi, bros of bros and Whoa. guest. Bros of bros. Hey, Andy, you got identified. You got hit I with got like identified. five views and like six uh, question marks. Bros that's, of bros. That's bros a bros. That, that's a very strange intro. I mean, sure. are we related to this person? I am a Let's brother to out. my brother. Your brother to your brother. Yeah, I, guess I suppose. That's true. Uh, I'm writing in for my second time. Loving the announcement on the Wii U. Keep the Nintendo love going, and the Wii U especially is up for some TLC. Yeah. Last time I wrote in about my experience of biking through the Dutch countryside oh, to the yeah. soundtrack of your sweet, sweet this voices. This guy rocks. But as we all know, it's not bicycle pedals that make the world go round. It's money. So I was wondering, how much Stone Cold Dollars did collecting all Nintendo 64 games set Steve back? And beyond that, how much effort went into collecting the games? Did you collect a lot via mail or actually need to swing by lots of people's houses, which could also make some stories I could imagine? <laughs> I wonder if this is something you had to make sacrifices for in other areas. Also, do you guys know if there are any consoles with very cheap collection of games? It doesn't, go, it, it doesn't do right by them probably, but I do feel a cheap collection would make for a loser console. Uh, the opposite not necessarily being true. Well, that's it for my questions. And if I may be so bold, a little holiday shout out to my brother from another mother, Yantje Willempai in Alameda. Yant Jan Willem also became an avid listener of the show when I shared my love for the show. He even wrote in with some Dutch soccer trivia oh, for your okay. FIFA episode to give you some more context. Discussing your episode is an awesome way for us to stay even more tight. Friend, hope you have hope uh, hope to have you back home soon after all these years. Keep rocking, guys. I'm looking forward to the big finale of the show. And that is from Albert in the Netherlands. Thank you, Thank Albert. You, Albert. Another great letter. Um, so, all right. Well, let's let's talk the money. Let's I've talk actually, financials. I've, I've tried to think about how much it could have potentially cost. And honestly, I don't really have a figure in my head mm -hmm. because a lot of these, like, you pick up in bundles or you pick up, like, uh, uh, you gave me a healthy number sure. of, like, uh, the, the sports games. Yeah, the cheaper ones. I mean, and I feel like you you were collecting this four or five years ago, right? Yeah, like, I kind of casually just started doing it, like, so it, it wasn't, if it was a big financial impact, it didn't feel like it because yeah. it was spread out so far. Um, and only kind of once I decided to do the show that I started ramping things up a little bit mm -hmm. and, and I had to bite the bullet on some of the more expensive titles. Sure. I know the most expensive title I paid for was Clay Fighter Director's Cut, which yeah. is pretty standard for Nintendo 64. Yep. Honestly, Nintendo 64, pretty affordable if you're if you're looking to do a complete I mean, set of something. Here's the thing. you This is a very shitty time to try and collect a complete yes. set of any console. Like, stuff is just way overpriced. There's You don't want to get into this realm. Um, no. The N64, even though the values have... Like, I'm sure... I bet that your value here of your collection is probably 20, 30% higher than it was when you oh. accumulated this stuff, at least. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, but it is still one of the cheaper systems, being as there's not that many games on it that are absurdly expensive. No, It no. has a lot of sort of 20 $30 games. And there, um, there's like 
four. There's like five or six titles that are gonna like hurt your wallet. But when a you compare bit, that but, yeah. to like Super Nintendo, oh, which God. is a a, tre- a way bigger catalog of like 700 games, yeah, and probably 30 games that are a hundred dollars or more. I mean, I used to be trying. I used to collect NES cartridges, and uh, I I made it about halfway through that catalog before I had to give up because they became prohibitively expensive right. after that. And that 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 and that's also again a very big. Cart like I don't know like I feel like console like cartridge library size is sort of if you want to say uh, what's a cheap library like Virtual Boy like yeah. there's a couple games on Virtual Boy that are like super duper expensive sure, sure. but like there's only thirteen games on the system I mean I will but say I don't, don't collect the Virtual if, Boy if you're really budget conscious right now the Wii U is very cheap right yes, now there that's, you go that that's, was that actually was, that's the answer that was kind of why I zeroed in on it because it was a system that people didn't really love mm-hmm. a lot of the best games from it got ported over to the Switch uh, for an increased price yep. so you, if you wanted to play those versions of the game you can go back to your wii u and get it much cheaper than the switch and uh right now like a lot of stores are just kind of trying to liquidate their wii u inventory to make room for the next generation actually yeah you just nailed it steve (laughs) that that is the cheap console like everything goes in waves yeah Yeah. um and we the timing of buying lots of a system like once it's one or two generations behind yeah is where things are going to be cheap and you know in a few years like PlayStation 2 is going to be riding, an original Xbox is going to be riding this wave. Of oh, it's, like, it's already starting. Okay, yeah, and you're yeah. like, shit, these games are really expensive, yeah. whereas before they were just like $5 at bin. So you just have to time these waves. And hey, if you start collecting Wii U, you can play along, you can play the Ultra 64 home game. There you go, right? exactly, exactly. And as far as making sacrifices, uh, no other than like, you know, my, my coolness, I guess, if that was ever up <laughs> sure. for debate. I uh, mean... But like, no, like you... you if, if you're going to do this, and like I, like what he said, I don't recommend it, uh, but like if you're going to collect games, set yourself a budget, stick to that budget, do not go over because you do not want to be like taking food out of your mouth to get like a copy of NFL Quarterback Clubs. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, right. What were you going to say, have, Andy? Uh, and I, I want to say a, a, a good compromise with yourself and, and your soul, instead of collecting a entire system's library look at developers look at uh like uh or like or a series or something right, like, like right. focus or, your collecting a little bit or first party nintendo games right like mm. like like look at yourself and be like hey i actually want to enjoy this or i want to have an impressive uh specific collection yeah yeah do that uh i'm half-heartedly working on uh first party nintendo games nice. from from uh, Super Nintendo on, because I'm not going to ever try the NES uh, yeah. collection thing. And, that, and that's that's fairly attainable, even though, like, Nintendo cartridges really don't lose their value and never go on sale. But, like, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and the thing I've, I've like, set up and it, what stopped this is COVID, I'm not going to use eBay. Okay. Mm. Oh, yeah, uh, you didn't get to that. That was the other question. part of the question. Yeah, yeah. I did use eBay for some. Um, I tried to stay local as much as possible because we actually have a few really good, like, retro game stores here in Bellingham. So I tried to support them as much as possible. But sometimes, you know, they they don't have it. They don't have it, you know, as long as you're making a valiant effort to look for it. Um, yeah. Yeah, hopefully that answered that question. Uh, and that uh, scared people away. I, I'm sorry, I don't have a more specific figure for how much it all costs. I, I've thought about calculating that at some point. It just breaks my brain. And also, I just I think I'd feel better not knowing. I that that's 
no, I agree with that 100. I've been selling a lot of my games, yeah. and it. I feel like the knowledge that they their increase in value was kind of the thing that drove me to that because I felt guilty owning them. Yeah, I'm yeah. like if if they're just like worth nothing, I'm like, yeah, I'm happy to have this plastic three ninjas game. But if sure. I know this three ninjas game is worth sixty bucks, I'm like. God damn it. Like, is it? I, have to I think I have that. The Super <laughs> Nintendo one is oh, damn. surprisingly valuable. Okay. All but. right. Well, I think that is all we have this week. Uh, Andy, thank you so much for being here and uh, sharing your speed running stories. That we, we appreciate it. Wait, wait since um, I want to talk a little bit oh, more yeah. about speed running, just because it's not something that's probably going to come up on this podcast again. Oh, yeah. Um, wh- Andy, what if, if a listener or, let's say, a co-host of this show mm-hmm. wanted to get in and, like, I'm going to achieve a world record in, I don't know, some game that I like that nobody else does. I'll think of it in a little bit. Pirates of Darkwater. Pirates of... Thank there you. you um, <laughs> um, what 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 is my process to try and like get a leaderboard? What do I need to do? Okay. Well, luckily at speedrun.com, this is the like entirely comprehensive, uh, pretty much widely considered to be like the uh, resource to to go to. This is where you upload videos. Uh, they get verified by other people. This is kind of like uh, oh, what what is that? Billy Mitchell's uh, the. The King the Galaxy, Kong. oh, Twin right. Galaxies, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Twin so you, Gal- you need to you need to film and record your entire playthrough. Uh, y- yes, yes. Okay. You 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 do need to do that, and uh, I will tell you, it's useful to do that anyway for your own uh, being able to look back and be like, okay, where did I screw up? How did I screw up? Uh, that that kind of thing because uh, that's the level this can get to. Um, but but going there, it the community itself is loves to help people. Is super super. You know, open and inclusive. Uh, they there's all these guides, you know, uh, for the programs to do the timing to to figure it out. You can do just there, there's so much. Uh, by the way, what do you what what do you think the world record for uh, be, for Pirates of Darkwater is? <laughs> oh God, I honestly have no idea. Steve just very thoughtfully pulled that out of his ass, which yes. is a game I think I, we played together like like a once, year ago, yeah, a long time yeah. ago. Right, I, I I'm sure. And uh, you, you know what? I'll do this. World record for two player. Okay, uh, an hour. Uh, wow, wow. Uh, one hour and two minutes. Wow. Okay. Hey, all right. Yes. That's doable. Yeah. That's doable. Uh, but but yeah, you just go to speedrun.com. There's lots of tools and even links to streams. But every recorded run has a. Uh, like like it has the video there. You can watch the entire thing, kind of get into it. Each, uh, you know, there's statistics and uh, community done guides. There's just all this stuff. It's 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 a great hobby to get into. Uh, you you know, even if you're like me and have done it mostly alone, I I have done a few uh, Celeste attempts, but my fingers are too big to mm-hmm. really really do Celeste well. Um, but yeah, speedrun.com. It, it's great. Uh, also, check out Games Done Quick. It's a YouTube. Oh, yeah. It's a YouTube channel. It's the uh, they they host multiple <laughs> events, and it is a lot of fun. They have just so many. Uh, the, like the speed runs are great because they have commentary to them. Yeah, and it's it's just a wonderful listen to. It's often very very entertaining. I will I will also vouch yeah, Games Done Quick is super good, but it is also the kind of thing that doesn't make you want to get into speedrunning because the people who do it are so amazing at the games. Yeah. You're yeah, just yeah. like, oh I could never yeah. do that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh and I will tell you, uh it 
Speedrunning is all about not really breaking world records, but breaking your own personal bests. Sure. Right? Just uh, something we can all get behind. Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, Steve, you 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 run, right? Yeah, you, you've yeah. done a few runs. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's that same kind of drive of doing your own personal best. I I, I highly recommend it. I I really really do. Just take a look at it. Um, you never know what you might find that <laughs> someone someone beat Pajama Sam. Yeah, uh, in less than a minute. Well, that's it's amazing. Such a great run through to watch. You can't even see anything. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for for lending your uh, your insight and your expertise. Can you tell people where they could find your other podcasts? Yes, you can find my other podcast, uh, Monkey Off My Backlog. You can uh, look it up on Twitter at Monkey Backlog. You can also just wherever you download podcasts. It's a fun little podcast where we uh, go take uh, things off of our media to do lists that we've had on for for years and years. We've had Steve on. Woody will be on eventually. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. We'll get him. We'll get him. Well, I, I, I was on recently talking about Fast and Furious 7, which oh, was a lot of fun. Oh, speaking of which, so, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Whenever, when you, whenever you give that title for that podcast, I always think of the Earthworm Jim villain, uh, Monkey, or Professor Monkey for a head. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening. This is actually the last Ultra 64 for 2020. Uh, We are closing out this godforsaken year, uh, and hopefully we're going to start off with something a little better than last year. We started off with Superman 64 last (laughs) year, uh, and this year we are going to be kicking it off by finally, finally, finally playing our last racing games. These are the San Francisco Rush games. So San Francisco Rush, Rush 2, and San Francisco Rush 2049 repeat no more racing games after this very few on the wii u even so like we don't have many racing games left to do i'm excited that we get to purge this part of video (laughs) game history for a while is Uh, garfield kart on the wii u no but hello kitty kart is okay so we'll be playing something similar (laughs) so be sure to tune in next week uh this is coming out after christmas but uh merry christmas happy holidays happy new year to everybody stay safe stay home be good to each other, and uh, this podcast will self-destruct uh, <laughs> immediately after I turn this off. <laughs>